There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. And we're going to continue talking through issues around last things, end times. Such a fascination for so many Christian believers. And you know what? Things can be a little more complex, even messy at times. But that's okay because it's good for us to take an opportunity to talk through some things like that and also to talk about a whole lot of other different dimensions that you might even perhaps never have been exposed to before. And as the events of the Middle East conflict with Israel and the terror organisation Hamas unfold, well, you might be aligning some of these things with biblical accounts of what's coming in the end of days. It is fascinating to explore these things, and we're mindful that there are a range of perspectives across the Christian community. Well, our special guest today says, Many Christians carry a dark, foreboding sense of the end times. They feel like evil will inevitably take over and run this world, and there is little use for trying to stop its progress. Well, you might have a thought or two about that too. Uh, Our special guest today is Pastor Enoch Lavender. He's made Hebrew Jewish studies his focus, and his new book is called The Jubilee, Discover the End Time Mystery. Enoch Lavender and his wife Sarah head up Olive Tree Ministries, an end time teaching ministry focused on the Jewish background of our faith. Enoch also serves on the board of Teach All Nations. And you'll know that's the ministry of Dr. Camille Majdali. Uh, Pastor Enoch Lavender, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you so much, Neil. Great to be with you. Enoch, congratulations on getting your book out. Uh, It's all about the Jubilee. Uh, Give us a little insight into your motivations here and and some of the specialisation areas that you've got that you're you're actually bringing to light and uh, helping people understand these things. So about 10, 15 years ago, I did my first message in a church uh, that was not my own. So the first time as an itinerant minister, and I spoke about God's work in restoring the church and Israel and what he's been doing in history up to this point. Now, since then, I've spoken a lot along different themes about God's heart to restore, and this has all come together in this book about the Jubilee and a message of hope and restoration tied to the end times. Now, I mentioned you've been absorbed in Hebrew and Jewish studies. And, you know, if you're contrasting some of the things that you uncover when you're into some original languages and you're immersed in some of the culture, Hebrew culture, how different things look compared to what ordinary Aussies might be hearing, uh, having perhaps even heard messages on end times uh, from various pastors from pulpits over perhaps decades. How, how different do things look when you start to immerse yourself? 
it, it's it's a paradigm shift. It's a different worldview. Uh, when Jesus gives us in his Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, he talks about the end times. He talks about wars, rumors of wars, plagues, famines, persecution. And in the midst of this, he says, when all these things begin to happen, lift up your eyes. Look up, for your redemption is coming near. Now, for most of us, that phrase kind of goes straight over our head. Redemption? What's that about? And we keep on reading, and we are left with the impression about the wars, rumors of wars, and all these bad things about to happen. But Jesus is emphasizing a phrase, a purpose, a, a, a mission about redemption. And this is going to overshadow, outweigh the evils of the end time. There's something bright and glorious that will uh, fade into the, the, the distance, the evil that of the end times, and that relates to redemption and jubilee. So in the Jewish community to this day, they speak of the redemption. They are hoping for the redemption, and they're looking for that to come. Whereas for us, we're kind of dreading, you know, when's the Antichrist coming? Who is he? Where's the mark of the beast? Now, the Bible talks of these things, but the context is, look up. There is something great and glorious coming called the redemption. Is it important for us to recognize uh, that New Testament writers were not thinking about what might be happening in the 21st century, but they were basing their expectations for this redemption on a whole lot of things that were unfolding out of the Old Testament, uh, the you know the 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 sacred writings of the Jewish people. You know what we see as Old Testament, and this is where the the New Testament writers they were thinking about those things. Is it something that we can sometimes get out of kilter, uh, out of balance, because we're often looking at those things that are happening today uh, without a lot of reference to those things that have happened in the Old Testament? Oh, absolutely right. Uh, there's, um, there is a, a context that's very much needed. Uh, and we tend to, in the Christian church and the wider church, we tend to read the Bible, you could say, backwards. We begin with the, the last part of the book, the New Testament, and we study it, we enjoy it, and then we dive a little bit carefully into the Old Testament. But for the, the, the Jewish writers in the day, they would have been grown up with this. They would have known it inside out, literally memorized huge portions of Scripture. And so when they're talking in the New Testament, they are drawing on uh, layers of references to prophecy and to an expectation. One of those relates to the Jubilee. We have Jesus going about proclaiming the gospel. Uh, and so we say, oh, well, the gospel, you know, that means die. You know, when you die, you go to heaven if you believe in Jesus. But in the Jewish context, the word gospel already had a meaning before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what the book is about. So when we're talking gospel and what they intended uh, those readers to understand in the First Testament, based on those Old Testament uh, formations, uh, give us a thought here, uh, perhaps even in a nutshell, because we might not uh, dwell on this, but, but what did the gospel mean to those New Testament writers uh, compared to what we might think of gospel today? And we're talking good news here. Yeah, good news, absolutely. So uh, Isaiah 61, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
Uh, and he goes on to talk about, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord is the year of the Jubilee. That is a year when debts are cancelled, when those who are poor and bankrupt and have lost everything are restored to their ancient inheritance. And that would be good news. That is amazing good news. And they are waiting for that as a nation, for a day to come when the Messiah would bring a great jubilee for the nation. The debts are cancelled, the people are set free to their land. And so when Jesus comes, his very first sermon, his very first message was on this. He got up in the synagogue, he read from the scroll, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And the word there is, he has messiahed me to proclaim good news. So the mission of the Messiah is to proclaim good news, which is, uh, for in this context, they're expecting uh, freedom from oppression restoration to their inheritance, the the kingdom of Israel being coming back together according to the promise God had made. So there's a whole layer of expectation in the phrase good news. And so when Jesus proclaimed the good news, this is the kind of background people would have had in mind as he began to proclaim it in the streets of Israel. Now, you've got connections to Israel. In fact, uh, we might talk about this. You're intending to go there, uh, even taking your family. And at a time like this, uh, when war is happening, uh, that might be a challenging thought. Uh, But for people who are in Israel, now you've got uh, various religious denominations. You've got, uh, you know, your Orthodox Jews. You've got very secularized Jews. Uh, You've got people in a smaller number who are Christian. Of course, there are Muslims too. But how do you think people in Israel are thinking about what might be coming They might have an understanding that there are some things, certainly Old and New Testament, that look at end times. Those people in Israel right now, and they know that there are missiles that are aimed at them. And this is a very, very difficult and, you know, they're on the edge. I mean, for this, uh, people who are in Israel today, they may be in a state of anxiety about what is perhaps aimed at them. But not everyone has the sort of faith that we're talking about. How do you think people in Israel are feeling right now? Well, I mean, there, there is a lot of tension. There is a lot of grief. We were at a Jewish community event here on the Gold Coast just last week, and you could feel the grief and the shock in the community. So they're, they're definitely dealing with that right now. Uh, on the other hand, there is a a big picture expectation and longing for for the Messiah, for him to come, for this redemption of the nation of Israel. It's something they speak of often, they pray for, they long for. Now, it's interesting to note that uh, the, the Jubilee relates to inheritance. It relates to a land God promised his people and that he would restore them to if they had lost it. Now, Gaza happens to be part of Israel's inheritance, part of the land God promised his people. But they do not possess it right now. It's not their belonging right now. It's full of Hamas, uh, and there is terror coming out of Hamas. But the promise of the Jubilee is it's coming a day when their full inheritance will be restored to them. But what then about the Palestinians? Well, I believe he has a plan for them as well. There are references in, in the Bible talking about Gaza being destroyed. That's in, in Zephaniah. Uh, and we read those references and and we we see what's happening right now. We can begin to draw a picture together that there is perhaps a time coming when this will come to pass. But in the midst of that, there is a promise that says that those who remain among the people of Gaza 
will be for our God. And that is a beautiful promise, that there's going to be people there who will remain within the the wider nation of Israel. There's always been people who are non-Jews, who have a different background, live among them, uh, and believe in the God of Israel, but maintain their own identity and ethnicity. And I believe that is a hope for even the people of Gaza, that one day the, the wicked rulers will be gone, but those whose heart are different will become part of this this nation that God has intended. Uh, very, very important points when you turn it around a little like that and uh, with what's happening right now, an expectation that as Israel moves into Gaza that it might well be a liberation of the people who are under that totalitarian evil rule of the Hamas terrorists. Uh, so there's an interesting uh, perspective there. And you mentioned Zephaniah. So there's even a, a biblical prophetic reference to what might even happen in that particular part of the world uh, that listeners might be interested to have a look at. I don't know whether off the top of your head you've got the specific reference. Is that something you... I might be putting you under too much pressure there. I mean, that's, that's tough stuff. Uh, I, I can get back to you on that, but what I can fill in in the meantime is that the word Hamas is actually in the Bible. Uh, so Hamas in Hebrew means violence. Uh, and the first reference to that in the Bible is in the days of Noah. The earth was full of Hamas, full of violence, and it grieved God's heart. And I believe it grieves God's heart to look on the violence happening right now. But there is uh, a promise In Isaiah 60, there's coming a day when violence or Hamas will seize from the land. And in that day, Israel's borders, it says, will be salvation. Now, the word salvation is a name, Jesus, that we know uh, today. There's coming a day when Israel will depend on Jesus for her border, for her salvation. And in that day, violence and Hamas will seize from the land in its current form. And there's going to be peace in that land. And I believe that's part of God's promise for that part of the world and a comfort for the people there, both Jews and Arabs and Christians who are living there. There is coming a day of a turnaround. We might come back and talk some more about that. Uh, In fact, let's take a break now. I do want to invite listeners to join into our conversation today. Uh, You've been hearing a number of different dimensions and perspectives here, and perhaps you've not heard these sorts of things before. You might have a question, a comment. You might also have a critique, and uh, that'll be welcome as well. There are different dimensions here that we can certainly talk about, but 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Our special guest this hour is Pastor Enoch Lavender. Uh, Enoch, uh, come back to this thought of redemption and of jubilee. And so history will show us that in 1948, after almost 2,000 years of being dispersed around the world, the Jewish people are brought back to the land. And some very clear prophetic fulfillments in what we might be able to see there. Uh, Is this something that we would understand as the beginning of Jubilee and that something that people in Israel might actually anticipate the hand of God is at work? It's a a great question. So um, uh, going back to the basics of Jubilee, it begins with uh, the, the scriptures where God instructs the Jewish people, that if one person goes bankrupt, they can let go of the land temporarily, they, they go into slavery temporarily, and a day will come of the Jubilee, they get set free from their bankruptcy, set free from their slavery, they're back to their land, back to their inheritance. But then Israel, 
as a nation lost their land. Israel as a nation were exiled and they needed a national day of redemption, a national day where God would bring the people back. And they were longing for that in Jesus' time. When Jesus was born, uh, Anna the, the prophetess, spoke of him to everyone who was looking for redemption in Israel because they were looking for their land being set free from the Romans at that time, looking for the fulfillment of the promises regarding the kingdom and the, the boundaries of the land. Then, of course, they, the, Jesus died and people's hopes were crushed. They, they thought he was the one to bring redemption. That's what the words of the disciples going to Emmaus. They, they speak of their disappointment. They thought he would do it. He would bring the redemption. They didn't know. It was Jesus right there with them. And the next 40 days he spent with them talking about the kingdom. And then suddenly they get an opportunity to ask a question. It's burning on their heart. And they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, will these promises of the Jubilee happen now? You've risen from the dead. It's a great timing. Jesus told them it's not for you to know the time. But you do wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, and then you go to all the world preaching the gospel. And they began to do that. They began to speak the word. In the meantime, Israel as a nation was destroyed. The Romans came, destroyed the temple, scattered the people. But I believe God's promises still stand. That the promises he gave the Jewish people, despite their sins, despite their failures, despite even not receiving Jesus as a nation, as the Messiah, those promises, it says in Romans 11, the gift and calling of God is without repentance or is irrevocable. It stands there. He is still at work to bring about his promise. Now, part of his promise is the Messiah for the Jewish people, but it's also relating to a land. And so when the Jews began to come back to their land, they were seeing the miracle of it happening and beginning to believe that we are in messianic times. Uh, there was recently a, uh, a radio broadcast in Israel where the, the presenter, almost as a joke, pretended to be live on the scene in Jerusalem as the Messiah was arriving. And he was reporting about everyone's so excited, he's coming over the hill, we can see him, and the, the crowds are going wild. And people began to call into talkback radio. So, is this happening? Where is it? What's the address? Everyone took it very seriously. But there is a real, real expectation that now that they're back in the land, they're beginning to dip their feet into the messianic era. It's coming soon and there is an expectation and a joy. And that's why to this day when Jews arrive back to Israel, they arrive with such joy and celebration because it's, it's a foretaste of something great to come. With battles that might need to be fought, and there's been a number of wars, uh, in fact they happen fairly frequently since 1948, uh, a young nation rebirthed and then the testing of that young nation uh, be able to defend itself and even be able to survive. Uh, some might even say the current events that we might be seeing in Israel, uh, this is a survival issue. And uh, when you listen to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, he's basically saying we have to take out Hamas for the survival of the Jewish people. So these sorts of things, I mean, people are looking at this one right now saying this is more serious than even any of the wars that have gone before. And there are missiles that are pointed at Jerusalem. Uh, there are those who are wanting to wipe out the Jewish people. Is this another test, do you think? Uh, or could this be uh, something that we might even see as one of the last things before perhaps a, a return of the Messiah? Hmm. Uh, 
great question. And, and yes, it's, it is definitely a test because it's amazing on the one hand how God has brought, I believe, God has brought his people back to their land. And there's been many miracles in their return, many miracles of divine protection. Yet in the midst of it, they face tremendous hardship and suffering and death, as we've seen in recent weeks. There's mourning, there's tears. And there is almost like a contrast. Where was God when these people were killed? But on the other hand, they can see where God was when he brought them back and when he'd done so many miracles on their behalf. So there is, uh, I believe, then a test of their heart because there is coming a day when Israel will call out to God, when they will call out to, to welcome Jesus. Jesus said, I will not come back until he's speaking to the Jews of Jerusalem, until you welcome me back, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, they have not been ready to do that. They've gone through a long journey, Christian persecution, things that have happened. But gradually things are shifting, and even these testings are shifting their heart in terms of being more ready to call out to God. So I believe it is laying a a groundwork for a fertile soil. And the Jubilee is always announced on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is a day of national repentance in Israel. And it's on that day when the nation is fasting, praying, repenting of their sins, that suddenly a trumpet sounds. And that trumpet marks freedom for the captives, marks restoration to the land for those who have lost their land, marks a freedom from debts and captivity. It will mark a time of great joy for everyone. And this joy, I believe, is just a little picture of the great joy to come when Jesus comes. But he only comes in the context of repentance. And he's looking for his people to repent. And, of course, there's some big gaps, aren't there? Because, as various commentators have said, uh, many of those in Jerusalem right now are very secularized. They're not even religious at all. They're not looking for their Messiah. Of course, there are going to be some that are. Does there need to be something of a revival of a recognized Messiah for the people of Israel before that trumpet can sound and uh, those things can happen? Yes, yeah, so every year on the Day of Atonement, you'll have about 80,000 people packing the square outside the Western Wall, the, the last remaining wall of the, the, the temple of uh, the Second Temple of Jesus' Day. 80,000 people packing that square, spending time in prayers of prayer or of repentance and fasting before God, confessing sins. Can you imagine us doing that in Australia? Packing out Federation Square in Melbourne, we're going to fast and pray and repent. We're not going to pray for any blessings. We're not going to seek God for anything amazing. We are just going to repent and 80,000 people show up. That would be awesome. And that's what happens in Israel every year on the Day of Atonement. But there's still a significant percentage, as you said, who don't take part in that, who don't care about that, in fact. Uh, And so I believe that Israel is in the balance. And that's where we have a role as Christians. We have a role to pray for the message of God to go forth to his people. That those who at this stage do not care about their, their heritage, the faith in God that he has given this nation, that they will be softened in their heart and they will turn to him and they will see his hand, his care, his love. Enoch, plenty to talk about, but what if we let listeners in and hear some comments from listeners as well. Elizabeth is in Benora Point in New South Wales. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome along. Oh, hello. I'm enjoying the conversation. Um, I just wanted to make a comment and maybe uh, hear uh, Enoch talk about this. Earlier in the conversation, you 
both agreed that um, God has been testing Israel's ability to defend itself as a nation. And I just, um, what I've been saying to people who are suddenly wanting to ask me things about Israel because they know I have a connection, um, uh, I, I say, look, Israel has never been able to defend itself uh, right back from its beginning. It's always been the wonderful works of God on their behalf. And so I just say, look, we just have to um, pray for miracles, God's miracles, and um, in response to faith. Uh, Elizabeth, you're making a good point here. Let's bring Enoch into this conversation. Uh, What are your thoughts here for Elizabeth? I think there is an amazing uh, and almost contradictory balance uh, that we can see at work in in the conflicts that uh, Israel and the Jewish people have faced. And that is, on the one hand, that they have had to be willing to and ready to give everything sacrifice everything, put their lives on the line, go on the front line, pick up a gun, be ready to fight. Uh, They've had their back to the wall, had no choice but to fight for their survival. And as they've been willing to lay it all down, then there's been these moments in time and moments in history where unusual things have happened, where as we look at it from a prophetic lens, we say God was at work. He did a miracle on their behalf. He turned the tide in an unexpected way, and they were able to enter in. But there is a balance between um, the work of God and him partnering with people who are willing to sacrifice, willing to lay down their all. And that's what's happening right now. Young men and young women, uh, you know, barely 18 years old, are now facing the terrorists from Hamas. They are having to fight for their lives and fight for their nation. But in the midst of it, yes, we absolutely need to be praying. Uh, Pray for uh, their salvation. Pray for their protection. Pray for, of course, the Palestinian people as well and for God's mercy upon uh, people on on both sides to know him as their saviour. Elizabeth, anything further to add? No, no. Uh, oh, look, I am enjoying the program. So okay, keep on listening. Yeah. Good Thank to hear you. from you. Thank you for your call, Elizabeth. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, let's take another call. Brett is in Western Australia. Hey, Brett, welcome. Okay, how are you going? Very good, Brett. What are your thoughts? Can you hear me okay there? I, I can hear trying you. trying to get into the uh, radio. I couldn't hear what was going on on hold. Um. <laughs> Just a question. Um, was Abraham a Jew or Gentile? Okay. Uh, Enoch, you're under pressure here. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it's, it's been said of him that, uh, uh, well, firstly, he, he was, um, you know, obviously from a, a, a Gentile family. Uh, and, it, and he then was called by God. He was called by God to leave his home, leave his country, leave his father's house and go to a land I will show you. And as he then crossed over the the, the Jordan heading into the land of Israel, uh, that's where you get the phrase Hebrew comes from. It means to cross over. And so as he was crossing over, he began to enter into the promised land, enter into the purpose of God and his descendants 
via Isaac and Jacob became known as the Hebrews, those who cross over. And sometime later, coming out of Egypt, they had to make another crossing across the Jordan. And as they did, they are people who enter into the promised land. So there's a unique call for Abraham. And yes, he was a Gentile at that time. Uh, however, he became the father of faith for all of us who believe. But he has a special role for the Jewish people via his a lineage there of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Brett, I hope that was a good response for you. Thank you so much for your call. Before we leave Abraham behind, uh, there's a connection to Abraham too, isn't there, for the Christians around the world, because not only were the offspring of Abraham more directly than going to become the Jewish people, but there's the people of promise that are all in there, and uh, we would relate those to those who've responded in faith to Christ and become grafted into the vine. How do you describe where Christians fit, you know, if we're looking at Abraham? I think uh, God has, has always had a purpose to, uh, to call out a people for himself. Uh, and he began that work through Abraham. Uh, in, in Jewish tradition, Abraham's father was an idol worshiper. And there's a story of how Abraham uh, knocked down all the idols, leaving a hammer in the hand of one remaining idol. And the father came in, was furious, said, what's happening here? And Abraham said, well, that idol knocked down all the others. And Abraham's father was upset. So of course he didn't do that. He's just an idol. So Abraham said, why then do you worship this idol? And so there was a unique call. For, for Abraham and his descendants to worship the one true God and through Jesus, the, the door has been opened uh, on a wider scale for us as, as Gentiles to enter in. But it's important for us to acknowledge the, the existing Jewish background of our faith. Uh, I remember one pastor, he said, when you go to Israel, when you go to Jerusalem as a pastor, a leader or an established Christian, go humbly. Uh, we as Christians tend to think sometimes that we've got it all worked out. We understand the Bible inside out. The Jewish people don't. We're going to tell them all about it. Now, there are things that we have to share with them. But let's go humbly and let's listen to where they're coming from. And as we do, it may help us in our understanding of the Bible, our understanding of the New Testament. We are grafted into something that already existed. So we're not something brand new and different. There is uh, a birth connection to the nation of Israel and to the, the teachings of the Jewish Bible that you and I need to learn and understand more. Let's just touch here for a moment on Messiah because we know that the Jewish people are waiting for a Messiah. The Christians will say Jesus is Messiah and there's a little bit of a, a, there's a difference, isn't there, uh, as to the expectation of Israel as the people of God and the Christians who say, well, uh, Jesus is the Messiah. And we sometimes as Christians, we say, well, uh, why don't they just accept Jesus as the Messiah? Uh, there are all sorts of issues at hand. I wonder if you've got any insights here into the sort of difference that there is there, uh, Enoch. Yeah, th thank you, Neil. Uh, it's, we, we can connect it back to the Jubilee because God had promised his people certain things. Uh, one of those was that there's going to be a son of David ruling on the throne, uh, and he's going to be God's son. Uh, there, there's a promise that there'll be, there'll be peace in the land. They'll no more have weapons of war. And so the Jewish people can rightfully point to those promises and say, well, if Jesus was the Messiah, why has this not happened? 
why have these promises not come to pass? And so they, you could say, actually have a legitimate case to say, he's not the Messiah. Now, we will then say, hang on a moment, he is coming back. He has got more work to do. He hasn't yet fulfilled his mission or his messianic call. Yes, he came and gave us salvation through faith. Yes, he he took the sacrifice for our sins, uh, and through him we have eternal life. But he still has work to do. And unless he fulfills those promises, from a Jewish understanding, he is not the Messiah. So they are expecting him to come back and fulfill what was promised. And when he does, he will rightfully be able to be enthroned as the Messiah. Just think of the recent coronation of uh, King Charles uh, and the, the pomp and the ceremony. And he was anointed and recognized as the king. And there is coming a day when Israel will recognize Jesus. And uh, his name, the Messiah, means one who's recognized and even publicly anointed. We're waiting for a time when he'll be publicly recognized by Israel as the Messiah. So as a Christian believer, in some sense, you've got to have a little bit of humility about you to recognize that, you know, I'm not sure whether the terminology, there's two speeds going on here or there's two uh, unfoldings, but there's certainly complications in the way we think of it. So there's a little bit of humility necessary to recognize that those Jewish people in Israel may actually just be waiting for a fulfillment according to their law and the prophets, uh, but we might be able to see things a little differently. Is is the two-speed idea a, a reasonable way to think of it? Yeah, in in Jewish tradition, even at the time of Jesus, there was uh, conversation and talk of there being two messiahs. Uh, one, the, uh, they call him uh, the Messiah, son of Joseph, and the other they call him Messiah, son of David. Because as they studied the prophecies, they saw a suffering servant, Isaiah 53. But they saw a ruling king, the son of David, who rules upon the nation of Israel, and they had a hard time putting those two figures together into one. So, there was conversation and talk of there being these two Messiah figures. Now, for us, we see it as, hey, he came as a suffering servant, but he's coming back as the ruling king. Let's take another call and our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Alex is in Melbourne. Hello, Alex. Welcome along. Oh, hello there. Thank you for the chance to speak. Um, As far as uh, the Jew goes and the Gentile, or the as it, as it is written, um, he is a Jew who is one inwardly. This is uh, the end of chapter two in in Romans, and it's not and and it's not and it's circumcision of the heart. So it's it comes down to faith in the word of God. And David, King David, uh, there was I'm I'm not sure, I'm sure I'm I'm right that there was a time that and it's even written that. Uh, God gave David peace from all around Israel, from all the other nations, when he was faithful. And so, and of course, the end times, Jesus came when there was darkness in Israel. And it's getting to be very dark now on his second coming. So that's the way I'm I'm looking at it. Uh, Good thoughts here, Alex. Uh, Response from Enoch. You know, it's, it's, it's a great question, and uh, uh, I think we, we need to uh, understand 
these New Testament writings in the light of the revelation already given. Uh, so in Deuteronomy, there is a specific talk about a false prophet. So a false prophet arises, uh, and he uh, does wonderful signs and miracles, and he leads people away from the Torah and the law and what is written by God himself. They would know he's a false prophet because he's not lining up with the Scriptures. Uh, now, throughout the, the, the text of the Bible, there are uh, words given to the Jewish people about circumcising themselves, about committing themselves to a covenant, uh, and it's described as being an eternal covenant. Now, we then need to bear that in mind as we read those scriptures you pointed out, because when we just read them by themselves, it can look as if this of being a Jew no longer matters. There is no longer Jew or Gentile in the kingdom. We, we, Paul talks about that. But we need to understand that Paul here is talking in the context of uh, that, of course, the rest of the scriptures still stand. He's talking about a specific role that if you are a believer, then you might be Jewish, you might be non-Jewish, but we are all saved through faith in the Messiah. Uh, so I don't believe he's then suddenly contradicting uh, the purpose of God written throughout the scriptures and are now saying it doesn't matter anymore about being Jewish. For example, some Jewish people who have come to faith in recent years have been told, you don't need to circumcise your kids because you believe in Jesus. You don't need to worry about what you eat because you, know, you can eat pork, that's fine because you believe in Jesus. But God had given the Jewish people a covenant, a promise, and there were conditions on that. And so they would need to see the New Testament writings in the context of that. Alex, does that answer your question or is that a good response for your comment? Yes, uh, but also Jesus mentioned that uh, he came to fulfill the law, which he did, and and that not one uh, jot or one iota will be uh, taken away from uh, the, the 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 Old Testament uh, mm. until the end. And so, because it draws people to God, to to this to His Savior in Jesus. And so uh, Jesus is fulfilling everything and whoever... Uh, and so uh, anyway, that's, that's the way uh, I Very believe. good thoughts here. Anything further to add, uh, Enoch? Yeah, that's, that's a really great point. And I, I love how you know your scriptures. I love how you're, you're reading your Bible and you're looking into it. Uh, and um, we, in, in the Jewish context of the day, the word there to fulfill is a phrase used in rabbinic writings of the day. Uh, which relates to uh, uh, explaining and bringing to the full the application of the law. Jesus goes on to say, as he said, he's not come to do away with uh, even the tiniest letter of the law. So we, we see this when Jesus is, is asked, uh, you know, about, uh, or he begins to talk about adultery, and the law says, do not commit adultery. And he then doesn't say, hey, it doesn't matter anymore. Go ahead, just sleep around. No, he says, don't even look at a woman in, in that way. In other words, he is actually upholding the commandments and raising the standard even higher, saying, if you want to follow me, you need to watch where your eyes are looking. Okay, uh, And so there is a, um, uh, the word there to fulfill can be understood in our modern context as meaning, hey, it's done away with, it doesn't matter. 
but in the Jewish context of the day, it meant to bring out the full application of the commandments. And the full application of do not commit adultery also is don't go around lusting after all the women who are walking around you. That is the full application that Jesus began to bring of that commandment already given by God. He didn't contradict it. He didn't do away with it. He bring the full application for you and I to walk in today. Alex in Melbourne, thank you so much for your call. We'll put a line under any calls now, just a few minutes remaining for our conversation. If there is something that might unite Every single Christian believer, Enoch, no matter what positions they might take theologically on, you know, we talk about different positions eschatologically and how you see the world. Is there something uh, with an expectation of the return of Messiah that ought to be and perhaps is a uniting force uh, for believers? I think the, the the key thing for all of us is to be expecting his return. Uh, he, he said he would come back the way he left. The disciples were left waiting on the Mount of Olives. They saw him depart up to heaven and the angels came and said, hey, he is coming back the same way. And that should be something all of us can agree on, no matter what our finer theological understanding is. Now, diving into the the Jewish understanding brings light on that because from... Their teachings, if you do not expect the imminent coming of the Messiah, you are on the verge of losing your faith. It is actually meant to be a cornerstone of faith to expect his imminent coming. Now, for them, they're expecting him to come the first time around. But for us, we know he's coming back the second time. But we have to have an expectation and live in that. And unfortunately, some Christians have been putting dates. So he's going to come at a certain time. There was a famous book written about 88 reasons why the rapture would occur in 1988. And uh, it, was, it spread all over the world. Uh, the the TV, Christian TV stations put aside their own uh, scheduling time to talk about this, to prepare people because Jesus was coming back in 1988. Well, he didn't. And so the author wrote a new book about 1989 uh, and continued moving his dates along. But in the Jewish world, they say, if you are doing this, if you are setting a date for his coming, they say, blasted be your bones if you calculate the end. What they mean is that you are causing people to lose faith in the imminent coming of the Messiah because they got disappointed. They thought he was coming. He didn't come. Now they are not living ready. You and I, no matter what our theological background is, we should be and we must be living ready for his coming. How then ought we to live? What should we change in our lives if we realistically believe he could be coming very, very soon? The imminent coming of the Messiah. You've given us a beautiful way of thinking about the Jewish context there. Does that same imminent expectation of the coming Messiah also apply to the Christian believer? Is this something that we ought to, you know, maybe there'd be some who are thinking, well, you know, I've just been watching things happening and I'm not sure really whether God is doing anything special and I'm not sure whether Jesus is coming for another hundred years. I'm probably going to die in my old age. What is it for us, Enoch, the Christian believer? How important is it for us to have an appreciation of the imminent coming of Messiah? I think it changes our lives. It, it changes the way we live. Uh, the, the story is told of 
some teenagers home alone, their parents are away for the weekend, and they're, they're, they're partying it out and celebrating. But suddenly they get the phone call. Mum and dad are on their way home. Quickly, they're getting the house together. They're getting things in order. They fear the, the wrath of dad, and they're getting things back in place. And there is a healthy fear, a healthy fear that comes in, in understanding his coming. And for me personally, as I've been studying the, the modern history of Israel and trying to piece that together with the Bible, it gives me a very real sense that we are in a unique time in history, in a time that's drawing closer to his return, that it's not necessarily 2,000 years away from today, rather that we are very, very close and we need to be ready. Well, really, really valuable insights into what's happening when you use today's backdrop of what's going on in the Middle East right now, even hour by hour, things are changing as you've been listening to Vision National News and the unfolding detail of what's going on in Israel right now. Uh, So a very timely time to be able to get some insight around this and as Christians to appreciate where we fit in the context of everything and what God is doing in amongst his own people, the people of Israel. Now, you might be interested to get a hold of Pastor Enoch Lavender's new book. It is just a new book, just recently released. It's called The Jubilee, Discover the End Time Mystery. And you'll find that it is available in the Vision Store or if you're buying it online, online booksellers as well. It's called The Jubilee, Discover the End Time Mystery. Uh, In the Vision Store, there's a book, there's a Bible study guide, and there's DVD as well. So uh, in whatever way you like to uh, take in those sorts of details. To connect with Pastor Enoch, there is a website, Pastor Enoch, that's E-N-O-C-H, PastorEnoch.com.au. Enoch, great getting your insights. Let's do this again sometime because as things develop from here, uh, we may need your insights once again. But thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. What a privilege. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.